guys, welcome back to Elsa and Ria's Emergency Room Podcast. My name's Elsa, and this is my co-host, Ria. Hi guys, so this week we're reading Chapter 7 of Dr. Sharon Mawalam's book, Survival of the Sickest. This chapter was Madness, Road to the Final Phenotype. So, Dr. Mawalam starts by talking about an experiment in which two agouti mice, agouti meaning yellow mice, who are also fat, mated, and while normal genetics or normal expectations at that point would have led to or would have have would have had scientists expect yellow agouti fat mice the contrary happened and it resulted in brown and thin mice so obviously this was a shock for the scientific community and i believe this happened in the early 2000s and after reading this my immediate thought was if all genetics besides this point had led me to believe that my the result would be a yellow fat agouti mouse and then i saw a brown mouse i would have been very confused maybe terrified because this is just not what's supposed to happen in science and i feel like it's such a big discovery that it would have led me to contradict everything i had known so i just thought it was very like shocking to be those scientists um how did you feel yeah i would have felt the same way because i would have automatically thought maybe there was a mutation or i did something to expose that specific mouse or the pregnant uh mouse to something that caused a mutation you know i i would think it's something wrong on my end if i was running an experiment and yeah, obviously you wouldn't expect it because if they're coming from a line of yellow mice and there's suddenly a brown one, then, like, how does that even happen, you know? So exactly, yeah. The scientists were wondering, how can this be? This contradicts everything. And so they discovered the phenomenon of epigenetics. So to simplify things, epigenetics is when something in the external environment leads to the suppression or the turning off of genes and this is done by a process called dna methylation where a methyl group which is ch3 is added to the dna of the genes and it basically acts as like a on and off switch so it turns the gene off so that it can't be expressed or it can't lead to the production of proteins that would cause that certain trait and so this is technically what happened with the mice um the gene to make yellow agouti mice was turned off by uh, the I explained the experiment wrong too I forgot to mention that um, the reason like they had a control group of mice in which yellow mice that mated with yellow mice resulted in yellow mice but that was the control group and then yellow mice that mated with yellow mice but were fed an increase in I believe folic acid, yeah, um, that's what led to the brown mice. So this change in diet or this environmental change led to this suppression of the genes in the mice. 
So something that they were ingesting or given was the cause of the change? Yep, exactly. Something environmental, um, nothing internally that was already there. That's really crazy because as, like, humans, uh, we are, like, prescribed so many medications, you know? Not necessarily prenatal vitamins, but, like, just any medication. And I think Dr. Mullen goes into this later on in the article, but it's just, like, those things can have such a big impact on the growth of the child or just, like, the, um, the biology of the child. Yeah, I think, if anything, after reading this book, I think I've become more mindful of what we're consuming and just our habits, like our uh, activities, like laying out in the sun, for example, with sunglasses. Um, And it makes me wonder, with my diet, if I'm eating vegetables, am I increasing certain toxins in myself? Um, If I'm taking certain supplements, will this cause harm to my child or my grandchildren as he talks about yeah i agree with you i have been a lot more careful about what i ingest oh also when um i read this point about epigenetics i was wondering if it's suppressing genes um i i thought maybe it was in the family of or like similar to the idea of operons and repressors, if you remember that from bio. Yeah. So, like, I mean, he talks about that a little bit. Dr. Moalan talks about that a little, little bit later in the chapter. But I considered, I really thought it was the same thing. I was like, wait, is this just another way to say operons? Because operons essentially do the same thing where they, uh, they either allow or repress the transcription of dna into mrna mm-hmm. oh i also thought how it was weird that it took them until the early 2000s to have made this discovery despite them saying in the chapter that um for years they've known that identical twins who share the same dna don't end up with the same diseases most of the time yeah so that's like the two twins, Eleanor and Elizabeth, who were given the exact same lives by their parents because they didn't want them to have more or less affection. Or, and, you know, so then after 40 years of living apart, one of them develops breast cancer and the other one doesn't. And this is like slightly confusing because when they had the same childhood, why is one more likely to get breast cancer than the other? And, and, like, if I was a scientist, I'd just automatically think it's something I ate or, like, an environmental factor, right? So maybe that's why they didn't look into it earlier. And only recently they thought about epigenetics and methylation. And at first, when I was reading this chapter, I thought any environmental factor must have... Um resulted in this suppressing of genes but then I remembered there's you know mutations at least for cancer the sun just directly uh, mutates and messes with the DNA that way and um, you know obesity isn't just caused by or the only there's multiple reasons to obesity 
besides this methylation that could possibly occur, you know? Sometimes it's just a matter of I'm eating a lot of junk food, you know? So there are multiple causes to diseases besides methylation. Which is all the more reason to live a healthy and safe life. But don't stress about each little thing because it's not like every little thing's going to cause cancer. Very true. So going off of that, epigenetics can send positive signals. And so we can have healthier, smarter, and better adapted babies, like Dr. Malone says. And that's because we may be able to suppress harmful genes, or maybe we can turn on genes that have been turned off that were helpful genes. So that gives us a whole new area to study to see how environmental factors can affect our health. Yeah, it's... Crazy to think that, I mean, obviously, a lot of our decisions affect our health already, and we've already known this. But for some reason, epigenetics just feels different because it's not a direct correlation, like with obesity, where it's like, if I eat healthy foods, I'm going to be healthy. It's more of like the science of methylation. Um, And also the fact that scientists think that specifically it's within the first few days of fetal development where the methylation and suppression is extremely important because I guess the fetuses are really susceptible at this point. Um, So just like all this information that epigenetics has brought to science seems to just add to this idea of being more in control of our health. So you said the first few days of pregnancy or conception is very important, right? Yeah. So there is a study done on rats. Um... And so basically the rats, um, the pregnant rats were fed a low protein diet for the first four days of pregnancy. And that's before the embryo was even implanted in the uterus of the rats. And those babies were prone to high blood pressure. So before the embryo even came in contact with the low protein diet, the it already had an effect on the future rats and the same thing was done to sheep and they were unfed or they were underfed during the early days of pregnancy so this uh, led to sheep that had thickened arteries and slower metabolisms because the offspring expected an environment where food wasn't readily available so they stored food as fat to keep themselves alive. And so epigenetics could be responsible or like partially responsible for childhood obesity. Uh, the number of obese children, it's rapidly increasing. Even children who are in elementary school can be considered obese because, especially in America, the diet is high in calories and fats and very low nutrients. A lot of people just give their children junk food because it's easily accessible. For contemporary global issues, I was uh, looking into poverty and how this affects people's diet and daily lifestyle. And what's surprising is that people who live down south in poorer states, such as Louisiana, they tend to have higher rates of diabetes and high blood pressure and a lot of other diseases. And that's because in low-income families, it's a lot easier and a lot faster to get fast food because it's cheap. 
and those families are working harder to get money so they don't have as much of time at home to make fresh food for their kids or maybe they can't afford it. And so basically children who live in poor houses, they're in some cases they're more likely to develop more diseases. Yeah, I guess from all this, the big takeaway is just how eating right really makes a huge impact on our health. And I know it's like very annoying because no one really likes fruits and vegetables, right? But the the benefits are just like you can't you can't deny them. Right. And that doesn't mean you have to cut out all the fast food in your life. But you definitely do have to be careful what you're putting into your body. Actually, my favorite quote from this chapter, um, it, it goes, epigenetics has the potential to give us a whole new measure of control o- over our health. DNA is destiny until you get out the old methyl, mar- methyl magic marker and start rewriting it, which I just thought was interesting because we like to think of DNA as the end-all be-all, but this field of epigenetics has kind of given a whole new meaning to science. And also, does this technically mean that we can break the cycle? Or Obviously not for everyone, but if we suspect epigenetics might be the reason for our obesity in our lineage of ancestors, does that mean that we can technically break the cycle if we decide to make better diet choices of, like, one generation? I don't think it would happen immediately. I think it would take time, but... If we're able to influence it negatively, then I think we can definitely influence it positively if we make positive life choices. So we can see how the mother definitely makes an impact on the embryo because she's hosting the child and anything she puts into her body goes into the child's body too. But what about the father? Does he have any impact on the embryo? The answer might be yes. Because there's new evidence uh, that the father can pass off information to the offspring as well. So basically, a British study found that men who started smoking before puberty had sons, specifically sons, who were fatter by the time they were nine. And so why is this? This is because they, uh, the scientists think that the epigenetic markers are passed on the Y chromosome, so they'd be sex-linked to the father, because the mother obviously is XX. So basically, when the father smokes, those toxins that he's inhaling is directly affecting the sperm, and this sperm is getting ready for a difficult environment, and so this, combined with a Western diet, would just increase the chances of the baby being fat and um, the likelihood that the child would have a lot more illnesses or is predisposed to a lot more illnesses, which just furthers the point that you need to be careful what you do when you decide to have a child or even before you decide to have a child. So besides the fact that parents need to be careful for their own children's sake, it seems that they should also be careful for their grandchildren's sake. So human females are born with all the eggs that they're going to have for the rest of their life, which is where children will come from. So now let's think of all of our grandmas. When our grandmas were pregnant with our mom, our mom was developing the eggs that would form us. So 
so technically, I mean, it's a weird way to think about it, but there were three organisms right there, or the potential for three organisms right in that, in your grandma, right? Therefore, if our grandma is doing something or anything that she does um, environmentally, that'll affect not only her daughter, but also you in that analogy or in that situation. So you can clearly see how epigenetics is important for a large chunk of a family tree. And there was a study that showed that children who have grandmothers that smoked while pregnant were more likely to have asthma themselves than children whose mother smoked while pregnant, which I thought was really interesting because you would think like, you know, obviously you're closer to your mother genetically. But it's weird how the grandma has more effect in that situation. Yeah, I wouldn't even make that correlation because I wouldn't think that something the grandmother did would have that much of an impact on me. So it's just really interesting. So I'm going to quote directly from Dr. Malum. In other words, traits acquired by a parent or grandparent can ultimately be inherited by his or her descendants. So basically what this is saying is something that could be acquired by the parent or grandparent could basically end up being inherited because of methylation and methyl markers that aren't erased um, through each generation. So down the line, the trait that's being acquired is no longer acquired. It's just inherited. It's just found in the DNA because it's been there so long. So an important point to bring up is the fact that not all methylation occurs before birth, but in reality, methylation and epigenetics is occurring throughout the span of your life. This was seen in the case where rats who were just born, uh, I think the term is pups, they were gently licked by their mothers and those of them who were gently licked by their mothers grew into confident rats, but those that weren't and that were ignored by their mothers tend to be more anxious Um, and this was because of methylation actually now some may think that it was more nurture but after doing some research it showed that those rat pups that were licked by their mothers had a decrease in methyl markers around the genes that were involved with brain development i think the big takeaway from this section that i thought was really interesting and very cool was that he says it's not a matter of nature versus nurture. It's really nature and nurture, at least when it comes to epigenetics. Yeah, so nature or nurture, they don't solely have an effect on the offspring. It's definitely a combination of the two. And I find that interesting because I feel like a lot of times new parents put emphasis on prenatal care and maybe they are working parents and they can't really be there for their kid growing up. And so this nurturing factor isn't taken as seriously. And this could lead to a lot of stressful situations. Children are the ones suffering from that. And I feel like this is just um, something that's not going to get that much better, even with acknowledgement of the issue, because it's not like the parents can stop working or you know, just take months off of their life just so they can ensure that the child is growing up in a non-stressful environment. And so it's just, maybe it's something we'll adapt to, 
Maybe it's something we'll methylate to. <laughs> so bad habits that we build up, like smoking, can cause methylation of cancer-fighting genes, and this can cause cancer. So this is an example of hypermethylation. And that's when people who smoke exhibit hypermethylation around genes that would otherwise combat lung cancer. That's a quote directly taken from Dr. Mualam. So an example of this is in India. There are millions of people who are addicted to this nut, which is called a betel nut. And this is a brown nut that when chewed, it turns your teeth red because it has a peppery red seed. It's addicting because it's a lot like nicotine and it's mildly intoxicating and it's seriously carcinogenic. And so because of this, oral cancer is one of the most common cancers in Indian men. And because oral cancer doesn't really have that many symptoms, 70% of people who are diagnosed with oral cancer eventually die from it because if they aren't diagnosed fast enough, then they can't obviously get treatment. And especially in India where it's a poorer country and maybe not a lot of people can have access to healthcare that easily. It's definitely not that easy to get treatment. And so Dr. Mom says how if one person chews on the betel nuts for their entire lifetime, this can just cause hypermethylation of the three cancer-fighting genes. One suppresses tumors, one that repairs DNA, and one that hunts out lone cancer cells, and gets them to self-destruct. Growing up in India, I definitely saw a lot of people around me who casually chewed on Bethel nuts. And I asked my dad uh, how they did this because I feel like just chewing on a nut it just doesn't seem appealing. And so he told me that they take the leaf and often they take calcium carbonate and they put it on the leaf like uh, like you'd put mayo on a sandwich or hummus or whatever you put on a sandwich. And then you take chopped up betel nuts and you put you sprinkle that on and then you roll that up and you put it right in between your gums and your cheek right on top. And then while these these are often workers and what who the people that I've seen are often workers at my grandma's house. They put it up in their mouth and they slowly chew on it while they're working so I guess maybe it gives them a numbing sensation and because it's a little bit like nicotine maybe it's calming especially in the heat so maybe that's the appeal of this thing because like I said before this is a red nut and it causes your gums and teeth to turn red and it just looks gross so aesthetically there's no appeal yeah so it's basically i would always as a kid think of it as indian chewing tobacco i literally call it if any of my um friends who weren't indian were around and i happened to find like a packet of it outside because my areas uh uh where i live is like largely indian so if i were to find um like litter of the package i would always call it chewing tobacco indian chewing tobacco and i think it's just like think about it as like regular chewing tobacco right like why do people keep that in their mouths um at least like i know it's like or it was prominent in baseball and now it's obviously like chewing gum or anything else sunflower seeds but it's like because baseball is like uh largely where you're just standing there waiting for the action um it's just something to like keep you i guess 
in it and you're doing something because like I guess like at least for me when I played softball I was anxious a lot of the time being on the field not knowing if the ball was going to be hit to me next and all that so um I would I, I noticed my my tick or like I don't know if it was really a tick but I, I would always keep my tongue in like this one section of my mouth like I would just like <laughs> stand like that or something as I was waiting um but I noticed, yeah, because I don't think we were allowed to have like be chewing gum because obviously safety hazard. But um, I noticed that you you kind of definitely want to be doing something in that moment, whether it's like uh, like fixing your positioning where you're standing or like something. So, anyways, the point is like I think that's the purpose or the appeal for just having something in your mouth, like for the workers in your grandma's uh, farm. I think it's like just to like help them like keep going like something they could like just keep in their mouths and taste good maybe actually i don't know if it tastes good if i would assume so if they keep it there also known the battle nut or i never knew it was a battle nut i just called it something else in my language but um i've known about it since i was a kid just because my dad's friends around me and my uncle choose this so yeah pretty big part i guess of indian culture i feel like not a lot of people know the negative consequences of the betel nut because like if you told me a nut was going to give me cancer i wouldn't really believe you because like last episode we talked about how vegetables actually could be harmful to us i just wouldn't think a nut something natural could actually like kill me I feel like people need to be informed about the consequences so they actually, like, make changes. I also thought it was interesting that they found a way to measure the degree of methylation in this Indian lab. Um, I, I wonder how they actually do that. So they're saying this could be helpful for measuring the cancer risk. So earlier I said 70% of people who are diagnosed eventually die from it. So if they're able to get an earlier diagnosis, then there could be higher survival rates. Which would be great, yeah. So it seems like we've kind of solved a lot of our problems here with methylation, right? Like maybe if we realize that obesity, our obesity from our family has been caused by methylation, easy solution, right? We just start eating better. Well, unfortunately, that's not really the case. Um, Because this discovery of epigenetics is relatively new, we're not sure exactly what removing some of these methyl markers will do. Like, yes, they might remove... um, or yes, they might suppress bad genes, but who knows if they'll, they'll also suppress good genes at the same time. We just don't know, which is why we can't really start taking, for example, folic acid. Because while it may help us with one aspect of our biology, it may harm us in another aspect. There are now signs that children whose mothers received multiple doses of this drug have experienced increased levels of hyperactivity and slower than normal growth. So you can see while something that was thought to be good ended up causing more harm. And that just reinforces the fact that everything needs to be done in moderation and we still don't know the effects of modern medicine. After reading this, I'm scared that the vitamins and whatever supplements I'm taking, not really that good for me. Yeah, exactly. So then that's also something I thought of when reading this, how maybe... I mean, obviously, there's there's benefits to supplements, but like you said, you just really never know. 
So you might be hearing epigenetics or methylation and just be feeling helpless right now because you don't know how to control this. It seems like everything's out of your control or it was in your grandparents' control. Well, there are some things you can do that could potentially help you, such as green tea. So green tea inhibits the placement of methyl markers on genes that help fight colon, prostate, and and esophageal cancer. So methylation of those genes would make it easier for cancer to develop because those suppressing genes aren't able to suppress cancer anymore. And so the cancer basically is bypassing all of this. When green tea is consumed, basically what researchers are saying is happening is that there's inhibition of methylation. And so the methylation can't take place. And so the cancer suppressing genes are able to continue suppressing cancer or cancer-causing cells. So next, Dr. Mullen further talks about epigenetics and maternal effects. So following September 11, there was a spike in late-term miscarriages in California. And so 9-11 didn't happen in California, it happened in New York. But obviously this upset a lot of people worldwide. And what was the reason for this? So researchers initially thought maybe it's because these mothers were in times of higher stress and and so it was harder for them to take care of themselves. So the unneeded stress just led to a miscarriage. But the interesting thing about this is that the fetuses that were miscarried were male. So why specifically male? So it seems that the mother's body just knew that it was carrying a boy and that triggered a miscarriage. So why did this happen? So in times of stress, the mother's body realized that it was going to have a male and realized that because of a stressful time, it might not be able to successfully carry the child and it might end in death. And so it miscarried the baby because there's no need to expel nutrients to a fetus that would never survive outside of the uterus. There is evidence that in times after great conflict, the male birth rate goes up. That's what happened after. So... That's interesting because during times of conflict, male birth rate or male miscarriage rate goes up. And then after conflict, to make up for it, do you think the male birth rate goes up? Yeah, I would, I would think so because then everything's normal. So, you know, the, the, just by the fact that the miscarriages would decrease or the rate of miscarriages, then I mean the birth rate would increase. Most people in the field have heard of the Human Genome Project, which is where um, scientists set out to map the sequence of all three billion nucleotide pairs that make up our DNA. And so they finished this Human Genome Project in 2003. And while, you know, this was a huge accomplishment for science, unfortunately, after finishing this, their, it, the, the discovery of epigenetics kind of rained on their parade. Because, or that's a quote from Dr. Mualam too, because um, after all this time, scientists kind of just realized that this, this human genome project was only the beginning. Now, with this concept of epigenetics, now we would have to figure out that when certain genes would be expressed or how they can stop being expressed. So then now in 2003, they started the human epigenome project. So that seems like a very time-consuming, expensive research project. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, the Human Genome Project took 10 years, and the Human Epigenome Project, Dr. Mom doesn't specify 
how long the human epigenome project has lasted. But this book was written in 2009, so at least up until that point, it was still going on. And, I mean, obviously we've come a long way, 10, 11 years. So I would assume it would be done by now, but also I feel like epigenomes are much harder probably to map because of how new it is. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.